What is up, everyone? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. As always, I am your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a multifamily and self-storage real estate investor. Today, we have with us Andre Oldacre. Andre's actually been on the show before. I asked him to come back to give us an update on his investment model and what he's up to today. A little bit about Andre. He is the managing partner at Aora Development. He's a construction disruptor with an expertise in offsite construction and sustainable development. Today, we're going to get into the state of new development today, where he's investing, impacts that he's seen from today's high interest rates and high costs for development, everything like that, how he's making success happen today. Andre, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us about what you're up to today and more where you're investing these days? Oh, thanks for having me, Taylor. It's good to be back on the show. Um, so our primary strategy is in the tri-state area, but mainly in New York City and the surrounding areas. So we have a strategy of uh, both new construction and retrofitting buildings to highly, highly sustainable and if possible getting to net zero or beyond. So um, because of the interest rate drastic increase in, uh, from you know the three and a half to four range all the way up to as, as high as eight and eight and a half range, um, it's been a little bit more beneficial, especially in New York City, to go with retrofits and a value-add strategy. So a lot of institutional money is running away from New York City because of the regulatory policies and um, harder. You know, we had In 2019, we had a rent regulation law that made it very, very tough to get rent-regulated uh, apartments into um, free market by doing the, the necessary improvements to get it above. Um, a lot of a lot of groups lost their shirt in mid midway through projects, um, but, you know, and then that Louisville law made it extremely difficult to um, to make to turn those units over to rent stabilization. We also have a regulatory issues with um, we have local law ninety seven that just hit, which I'm in favor of because we're, we're very much sustainably focused. Um, but local law ninety seven says that any building over twenty five thousand square feet has to have uh, reduce your carbon emissions by 40% by the year 2030 and by 80% by the year 2050. So a lot of investors and owner operators do not want to deal with it. It's uh, you know a, a huge capex. Um, but on the flip side, New York City has the greatest incentive program in the country thus far. We have uh, local utility companies handing out extremely favorable incentives, uh, as much as 50% in some, in some instances, uh, from geothermal to insulation, swapping out gas stoves and uh, boiler systems, solar. Uh, there, there's, there's incentives for all of them, uh, pretty much, on a local level, on the utilities. And then on the state level, NYSERDA also is one of the best in the country as far as incentives packages. So between the utility companies, local, some other local initiatives with NYSERDA, which is the state energy corporation, and then an IRA bill, which is obviously nationally that everybody can get. And then on top of that, we hit, we add on ITC credits and even carbon tax credits, which are new forming markets uh, based off of the 2000, um, sorry, the, uh, the Tax and Jobs Act. We're able to pay for more than 50% of our CapEx through incentive base. Wow. So I was not aware of that particular regulation. I mean, I, I don't invest in, sure. the, in that area, but that's pretty significant. Even with those incentive programs covering 50% of the costs, 
it seems to me that a lot of that cost is at the end of the day, you know, you were an economics major. A lot of that cost is still going to get pushed down to the tenants and cause upward pressure on rents. What's your reaction to to that, considering that the incentive programs aren't covering 100% of these retrofit costs? So we've got a strategy of decommissioning the boil, gas boiler system. So Green NYC put out a post that... Uh, 68% of buildings uh, of, of New York City's carbon emissions is coming from our buildings because we're so dense. Two, the, the worst 2% of those buildings are almost 50% of that carbon emissions being emitted. So we've created a strategy focusing on that worst 2%. And we've got a list of the, the you know, because of the local law 97, we have every building over 25,000 square feet has to benchmark their, um, their building. So we are going after DNF rated buildings and able to, uh, and we're also finding distress. So if they have distress with the DSCR under one and they're a D-rated building, we know we can increase their, we're looking to lower our operating costs as much as 30 and even beyond percent by doing this uh, sustainable strategy. So it makes the most, you get the most bang for your buck here in New York City because uh, the electric bills are as much as 40% above the national average and gas is as much as 11% above the national average. So it costs more for your utilities here. So we're, t we're completely removing the gas bill by decommissioning the gas boiler system. There are incentives for that, by the way, and making it an all-electric building. Uh, and over the course of time, we're able to pay for that with PACE loans. There's what's called ESA agreements, just an energy of service agreement. And then there's also PPA, power purchase agreement. So there's three different financing mechanisms that, can pay, that, that you can pay for it so it's not an upfront cost. And what, what you decide with is, is ultimately up to you. Uh, energy service agreements and power purchase agreements are, are more shorter term loans or paces can be as much as 20 to 25 years and even uh, in some cases 30 years. Uh, so it's amortized over longer, obviously lower payments. So we're using these financing mechanisms on, on top of the, the, on the, on top of the, the sustainability incentives to find deals that people are normally running away from. All right. We've got all, because the regulatory is so strict here and, you know, it takes longer to get tenants out that are, you know, to evict tenants. You know, there's a lot of institutional investors, like I said, that are running away. Um, so we're finding better than normal rates. Like before the pandemic, cap rates here were low fours, you know, even to mid fours in, in Manhattan, in some cases, mid threes, right? Uh, in, in prime areas. We're seeing deals now in the six and a half to even eight and a half percent, depending on whether it's uh, free market or rent regulated, yeah, obviously depending on neighborhoods. Um, but we're seeing amazing deals. And some of those deals have assumable debt. So we're looking at a deal right now, 100 units that has assumable debt at four and a half percent. So if we can get, if we can buy it at a seven or a seven and a half cap rate, that's a very nice spread. Obviously, you lose the upside because you don't get the, you, you know, you're, you're capped at what you're, you can raise your, your rates at. But if you're if you're buying at such a low basis and it has long term debt, like this deal, for instance, has uh, eight years of uh, of assumable debt. In that time, we hope to be able to refinance to you know, maybe fours, uh, you know, as maybe in some time. But it gives us a long leeway to be able to play the market for something like that. So those are the types of deals that we look at. Obviously, the price has to be right; it has to be within the market. Um, obviously, when we get an assumable debt. They, you know, the the owner or the, or the or the broker thinks they can get a hell of a lot more, but we're just seeing so many the deals flooded with deals, right? The market is flooded with deals, so uh, it's really a buyer's market right now. 
So going back to decommissioning of gas boilers, still need to heat the buildings. So what are you replacing those gas boilers with? Are they electric boilers, heat pumps, something else? Sure. So it's a combination. So on larger deals, we're looking at district energy systems for some of the best in the world. Uh, I just came off a three-day tour in Copenhagen. Denmark is the number one sustainable country in the world. And we're invited to go out there and you know, talk to the architects, talk to uh, some of the energy providers, and service providers, and their, their technology is, in some cases, 30, 40 years beyond what we're doing here. So we could, there's, in some cases, you could be in a microgrid and be completely off the utility company's uh, grid. But that's on larger deals. You can't do that on smaller deals. Uh, on, on smaller deals, like, like you said, we're using electric heat pump systems. In some cases, we're doing geothermal. And in other cases, we're doing air source heat pump systems. We're super insulating the building, but that's very, very important. People don't realize two-thirds of your heat is just dissipating out of your building and then you also need heat recovery systems, right? So you can recover a lot of that heat loss in with various technologies, and we're researching the best, and, and there are new technologies that are always coming out. So we're always on top of those technologies, and uh, we're, group, we're dealing with groups that, and energy service providers that take that into account. Uh, like I said, we, we look to at least lower our operating costs by 30%, and we, we actually, you know, people, the low-hanging fruit people, uh, water conservation. We're looking at stormwater remediation. Um, so we're looking at all three utilities, not just the gas and, and, and electric. There are many techniques to be able to lower your, your, your water utility bill by 50%. There are simple things like uh, smart valves that, you, you know, 20% of your, your water bill is sometimes uh, is air that's pumped in the system that you're getting charged for and people don't even realize it. All right. So there, we're looking to, to lower the operating costs of all three, but yet save money uh, and conserve and, and uh, have a greener buildings. And then wow. on the backside, I should say on the backside, we're able to get green financing loans from the agency, from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and even HUD. They're starting to produce green financing programs that you can get as uh, 25 basis points to as much as I've heard, 75 basis points. Uh, we haven't done one of the 70, that, that large yet, but uh, we're looking to start getting those uh, those discounts and it's long-term agency debt, right? So it really makes a big difference in your uh, in your long-term debt and, and your, your debt coverage when you're when you're, you're paying that much less and you know getting up to fifteen seventy-five basis points off. So it makes a big difference. So since you mentioned debt and debt coverage ratio earlier on, you had said some of these properties have a sub one DSCR debt service coverage ratio under one, which for the listeners means that your net operating income isn't sufficient, at least of the properties when you're buying them, to cover the cost to pay the mortgage. Now you're buying them in that condition and looking to cut the operating expenses, hopefully putting you in a good position. But can you comment on that in in how these properties get to the point before you buy them that they are under a one DSER and in light of the fact that lenders are going to look at the existing in-place DSCR when they're doing their own underwriting to evaluate the deal. So let's dig a bit into that sub sure. one DSCR when you acquire. Yeah. So how they get to that point, right? Well, one mismanagement, um, that's a simple uh, low hanging fruit. That's usually not the case. Usually the case is they were, they're loan matured and they went from a three or 4% interest rate into a seven or 8% interest rate. And they're, you know, they basically, their rate has doubled, right? So their debt service their payment has is not covering the the income 
And in many cases, these are rent-stabilized buildings where they're not able to increase the rents and able to afford it. So in many cases, these guys are going to have to walk away from the equity that they put in the property, um, all the renovations. They're just in a bad situation. So a lot of buyers that bought in the pre-COVID in the 19, 18, 19, all the way up to 21, in some cases, could be underwater. Um, and we're seeing a lot of, there's you know billions of dollars maturing each year in, you know, nationwide, not just New York City, and they're forced to get higher debt, right? So that's why we look at long-term, you know, non-variable rates. You know, some people will do the five and 10-year commercial loans, and we, we like to get to agency of uh, 25 to 35 year fixed. Um, obviously, it would have been better to do that uh, a couple of years ago when it was extremely low, but they're, they're still offering relatively good rates even now. They've come down. They've, they've subsided a little bit. They're down maybe a, a full point. And that is along the lines of what you said earlier about properties pre-COVID trading in the four to four and a half cap range and now being in the seven to eight cap range somewhere in there. That means a pretty significant drop in value, all else remaining the same as far as NOI goes, but your sure. cap rate increasing that significantly means a pretty steep drop in property values if you assume that NOIs sure. had stayed the same. We don't hear about that happening very often, at least in the New York City area these days. I hear more about that happening in, there was a huge foreclosure in Houston, for example, about a year ago other things like that. But it's surprising to me, to be honest with you, hearing about that significant of cap rate expansion in New York City being such a, a primary market. That's that's pretty yeah. surprising to me. I mean, I've been through a few cycles and haven't seen it quite as bad as this, especially for office, right? Office has, has been torn apart uh, in, in all the major cities. San Francisco is probably the worst case. You know, I'm seeing, I'm hearing of deals going in 30 cents on the dollar. Um, that's not the norm, but 50 cents, 60 cents, that's becoming the norm these days uh, for office deals that have 60, 70% vacancy um, because of COVID, right? It accelerated. It was, it was a trend that was happening anyway, but COVID drastically accelerated that trend. So you mentioned that you're going after properties that I think you said are D and F rated on this uh, sustainability emissions scale that's sure. put out there. When you're looking at those properties, what are some things that are either red flags in that, okay, I'm officially not interested in this particular deal, even though it rates as a DNF on the scale, or mm -hmm. on the other side of that, a, a positive sign that, okay, it's rated D or F, but we can do something about it. What are some positives or negative pros or cons that would indicate a good or bad deal for you in that DNF rated emission scale? So because we're so highly regulated, um, deals that are a mix of rent regulated and free market, if the owners did not do their DHCR records, or basically meaning file all and have all a complete records of all of their uh, upgrades, and then that, that's, that's room for a uh, huge risk because they can, we can be sued uh, for overcharging on rent if those free market were deep, weren't classified by you know uh, to rent regulated from the from the rent regulated. So that means like if they took it off of rent you know from rent regulated to free market, they put they could potentially go back to rent regulated, but they can also the tenant can also sue and charge, uh, and then the city can charge you back rent for a, a various period of time. 
So those are deals that we tend to stay away from. We've seen a couple of those deals and, uh, and we've shied away from them, even, even though they were a great, great deals and even in some in, in very good neighborhoods. So what's the sign there? Is it just that it's a mix of rent regulated and free market, or do you need to dig a bit deeper to figure out if that red flag is present? Yeah, we need to dig a little bit deeper. We need to make sure that they that they filed everything correctly um, and make sure that uh, they have all their receipts for all the uh, renovations that they did correctly. Um, another deal, I mean, I mean another Thing that we kind of like to stay away from is our deals that have uh, a tax abatement that are coming off relatively soon because they did a renovation and those those taxes will balloon to full market rate uh, in the coming years, right? So if it's less than five years or less and that that's expiring, we we tend to stay away from those deals because they look pretty now. They might be an eight cap rate now, but when you add in those taxes, you're probably going to be at a six or a five and a half. Wow. Do you see sellers ultimately adjusting their pricing accordingly or are there other buyers out there that are willing to look past the end of those tax abatements and for want of a better term roll the dice on it a little bit no well that's part of the the problem right with the 2019 tax um right regulated uh rent regulated jurisdiction it used to be able to take those to free market but now you have to, they're most likely going to stay rent regulated for another 30 years, which is a huge change. So <laughs> this is why people are running from New York, right? There's some you know, laws change at, at a drop of a dime and, and you're stuck in a deal. But they're obviously, like I said, they're good things. There's reasons why we, we're staying here because we can see we can get deals like that. And we, we hope that regulation changes for the better. So if, if that were to change back you know, somewhere in the middle, we'd stand to gain from a rent regulated uh, project tremendously if we were able to raise the rents. But we're not looking at that. We're looking at it as from a, a steady um, lowering the operating costs and, and cash flowing now. Um, but there's the op- there's that upside, low, low, op- low opportunity, but there's a potential chance of that happening in the future. So let's talk a little bit about the regulatory red tape, if you will, of actually making these updates like decommissioning a boiler, but then adding in some form of a heat pump or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that, okay, it's all well and good. That's a that's a good plan, but you're still going to run up against, I would expect, permitting issues or situations where your electrical service may not cover from an amperage rating standpoint, may not sure. cover the demand of the heat pump replacement systems or what have you, leading to electrical permitting issues and other things related to that. What are you really kind of getting into from a regulatory red tape permitting standpoint when you look at doing these updates like decommissioning a gas boiler and electrifying? Absolutely. So a lot of times you will have to upgrade your electrical systems and that comes as part of the cost. Like that should be the first and foremost what you're looking at. So you know, but that's also part of that is super insulating your building so you can lower the amount of BTUs that you need to heat, heat, heat and cool your place, right? So doing roof, uh, roof coatings, potentially doing um, films on, on your windows, obviously replacing windows is obviously more expensive, but that's obviously better. Two, uh, double and triple pane, are, you know, newer windows are, are going to be much more advantageous. Um, you lose 40, almost 40% of your uh, heat through your windows and, and roof, right? So it's it's a big deal to those are those are your weak points. Yeah, I mean, 
that's always part of the deal. Like you always have to take into account that the electrical upgrades are going to be part of the, the CapEx budget. So as far as the time frame to get all those updates done, uh, you know, adding films to windows, probably not that complicated, but the mm-hmm. end, at the end of the day to upgrade your electrical, bring in the, you know, heat pumps or whatever you're doing, making those specific changes to pull out, say a gas boiler in this case, how long does that usually take? Is that a, a couple of year process? Can you get it done within a year? I'd be a little skeptical. Depends. Um, so it's becoming more commonplace here because we have local on seven, we're in flux. So it's, Inspectors understand it a lot better. There is they're they're staffing up. So on smaller deals, you can probably get it in done in six months. But you know, you, it's usually going to take more than uh, more than a year in, in some cases. But uh, but you can if you have good relationships and you have all your paperwork in a row and you have a good uh, service provider that knows the system, um, you can expedite those times. Okay. So if someone wants to get into the sustainable development game, where can they go to learn more and build out their skill set before they, you know, dive deep and do that first deal? Well, um, you know, NYSERDA for, from New York standpoint, uh, on a federal level, you know, follow up and read on the IRA bill and all of the real estate related funds available for it. There's the National Institute of Building Sciences, which I was a past chair for the Offsite Construction Council. We didn't even get much into the new construction part, but we're very much big into the new construction as the rates are starting to subside as well. So, no, I mean, following the right folks on X, formerly Twitter, you know, and, and the right folks on LinkedIn, I'm on constantly reading updates and getting articles from folks and, uh, I don't know, uh, The Economist and a couple other of, of publications that, that I follow and read. So a few different places where folks can go to sure. uh, to learn more. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Tracking your rental property business no longer needs to be a hassle. Stessa, a new financial technology company, helps real estate investors just like you take their real estate rental portfolio to the next level by automating the financials of their rental property portfolio. You can get started with just 20 bucks a month to take your rental business to the next level by tracking your properties, automatically collecting rent, tracking your expenses, and so much more. Using technology can take so much of the hassle out of owning a rental property portfolio. So check out Stessa today by using our link in the description and you can get started for free or upgrade to their pro package for just $20 a month. This type of software can save you a ton of time. Go check out Stessa today by using our link in the show notes. Now back to the show. All right, Andre, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. Number one, what is your number one book recommendation? So I've been reading The Handbook of Green Design and Construction uh, by Sam Kuba. Uh, he really talks about, you know, obviously, oh, we're very sustainably focused. So he's been talking, you know, it talks a lot about different strategies of making green buildings. And it's I'm finding it very helpful. Question number two, who or what inspires you? Seeing green buildings take place, uh, you know, from a new construction standpoint and 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 a retrofit. Uh, we're looking at a building in New York City getting done right now. Um, it's uh, 345 Hudson Street and 555 Greenwich Avenue. It's an over a million square foot building being retrofit. And I'm hearing that they're lowering their operating costs by uh, by 80%. Wow. I'm, I'm not the operating cost, but the, the utility bills by 80%. Mm-hmm. 
So just hearing real life case studies like that inspire me. Like it can be done. We're not talking, you know, the, the you know, having bigger deals like that fall, you know, come to fruition. And, you know, it's not done yet, but the projections are there and, you know, it really inspires us to, you know, I have an advisor that has raised, he started the first fund at, um, uh, his name is Doug Lawrence. He started the first sustainable fund at uh, JP Morgan and was able to return amazing returns, plus 20% IRRs, uh, doing a sustainable strategy, right? So uh, the the knock against ESGs, well, it, it costs too much. Uh, well, you can still get those same returns by doing a sustainable strategy. And now with all the incentives, both federally, locally, it makes it even better for those returns. Uh, and you know, we feel like we can use financing like pace to get to slightly higher leverages without the the risk of getting to higher interest rates because you're doing long-term debt. Nice. Question number three, think about Andre at 80 years old. If you could sit down with him, have a conversation with him, what advice would 80-year-old Andre give to Andre of today? I would say get, get started earlier. I wish I would have uh, done more deals earlier, but um you know, really find your niche and make an impact. Sustainability is where we're at. We feel like we can make a, a serious difference and, and and inspire others to do the same. You know, and see the financial benefit of it. So, you know, do good while doing well. Doing well. Appreciate that, Andre. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this knowledge about sustainable development getting insights into the regulations and how you guys deal with it. If folks want to reach out or get in touch, where can they find you? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Easy to find. My name is spelled a little differently. So it's uh, A-U-N-D-R-E and last name is Oldacre. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I actually just started an X account um, uh, specifically for, you know, I'm going to start. I've been told I need to post more, so I'm, I'm starting a new one. Um, I think it's uh, Bill Green now is my 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 ex handle, so I'll be. I just started it up uh, this week actually, so um, bear with me. I'll be getting some some content on there as well. So nice. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. <laughs>